We're going to go ahead and get into our study. We are in right now 2 Kings. We'll be in chapter 4. Last week was a little bit different. We had um, a detour taking on Daniel chapter 3, nebulous Nebuchadnezzar. The king who had been so consummately courted by the Lord in both dreams and visions and prophetic utterance, and he'd get it, and he'd declare that God is God, there's no one greater than he, and he'd go to sleep and forget about it after three years, only to be reminded in incident and consequence, God is the same God that he acknowledged years before and that he needed to yield to and acknowledge once again. And so we also, in just a brevity, looked at how culture is desiring that we forget about God, that we bow down to an image that it construes and makes as worthy of our attention and time. That's idolatry. It's not new either in times past in history or presently. Just robes itself differently. One of the notable things that we looked at as well was how music can be that God, that idol in people's lives. We've all been affected and touched by music with just a little, you know, touch of bravery. I shared a song impromptu and Christy joined me in that last week. It was basically, as you recall, the Romans wrote the message of God regarding the dilemma of men and the remedy from God that they can be saved. And that's what you heard last week. So we're going to hear something not necessarily as cued in on that in this text, but the dilemma, for instance, when death is the inevitable conclusion. What is it that we are to do? We have probably said before in our walk, I feel dead. Hopefully we have not said it, but I would not decline to limit us on moments of weakness because it's become a catchphrase. You are dead to me. One of our Shark Tank men is notably, I think, Leary is the Mr. Wonderful. And that's one of his favorite passages if he cannot convince somebody to take him on as the mentor to the next mountain of wealth. So if he gets ticked off by somebody that's trying to make a sale in the multi-millions, he said, you are dead to me. And you have no opportunity of me joining forces with you to make you into a big millionaire like I am. We know that that relates to a state of mind. It can also be a state of the heart when what we say is, I'm done in saying I'm dead. Because God has another answer for us. And I think that it's presented in here. There's much in this text. The text itself from where we will pick up and ultimately conclude is about a five-minute reading, not too long, under just normal oration. I may take us through a section of that just to be able to have undistracted attention 
on the complexities of the passage and then come back and be able to give some insights. But this scripture, excuse me, this script might sound familiar to you. It humored me as I pondered it. And if you will, you can probably see that the title was drafted off of that, only mostly dead. Anybody got that? Is it resonating in your... Okay, here's the quote, though. It's from script, not the scriptures. So if you leave, you're going, he he said it was scripture, man. That's all I know. I see it's scripture. That Yeah, is script. Here we go. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing you can do. Pause. Go through his clothes and look for loose change. <laughs> At any rate, that's from the Princess Bride, if you must know where that script came from. It's a charming film. I think actually a classic one. In Ephesians chapter 2, and Rob has taken us through this, but this probably is just a really good anchor verse. And you were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 verse 1, great anchor verse for the picture that's being presented in the scriptures today in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, just as the others. And so with that emphasized is the difference between the others and us, just as the others, is that we've been justified by the work of God through the death of his son, Jesus, whom we serve, the Lord who loves us and has given us remedy, even as we can see pictures of it in this passage of Scripture. That's what we're going to look at. Return, if you would, to chapter 4, 2 Kings. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. A certain woman, verse 1 says, of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. Chapter 4 opened up with that. Elisha is facing off with the death sentence. Before Elijah said, you can have the mantle and ask what you will, but what you have asked for is a double portion. It's a hard thing you ask. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken, you shall have that. And so he's getting it in a full measure but he's getting it in the hardships of humanity, the things that at times quench the spirit and crush the heart, the things that at times just require a steadfastness 
when everything says, I can't stand this anymore. I want nothing to do with it anymore. But we have a position much like Elisha, for the Spirit of God is within us. We've been blessed. I occupy a space on this stage for a limited time. God extended my life. Last Tuesday I shared with you that I almost got hit crossing the freeway. But I'm alive. But I could have been also mostly dead. And so for the time that God gives us, the extensions that he permits, praise the Lord. It's a wonderful thing ultimately to see that the Lord in charge of our life is also the one who stewards us through life. There are incidences that always seem to reflect our frailty. The first time I think in my pastoral life, I spilled my cup of communion. The evidence is on my chair. By the way, it's good fabric. It beads up really good. And on the floor, getting ready to take it, I didn't have it. I'm going, well, I'll fake it. And I tried. But somebody took notice of me from the stage and said, I'm going to help that guy get some communion in him. That was very caring. It's a picture of what the body will do when there's the lacking of what someone needs. I needed that, just like we distribute it to you as you have need of it. But the body kicked in seeing that there was a dilemma, a crisis. Oh, of all things, the pastor, how humiliating, how embarrassed. But rather than making much of me, much was made of communion to give to me. To some degree, that's a okay crisis. Not so bad. But there are other things in which the obvious isn't necessarily evident. Death inside the heart, death inside the mind, death in relationships that God has not intended to be defined by such an easy thing as it's over, but rather to be realigned in a hope. And that's what this is about. Death opens up this passage. And as soon as that is in remedy with what Elisha will do, we get another part of this segue. Picking it up now in verse 8, the theme is still going to resonate. The hardship is still before him. But the confidence in God, and ultimately someone new that we will see, has even as equal a confidence in God. It happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem. So Elisha right now, we'll find out, is at Mount Carmel. That seems to be his headquarters. That's where Elijah spent both time as well and also in great victory, contending for God against those who had raised up idols, in particular Baal, it was a great victory, but it also plunged, as you recall, Elijah into a time of deep fear. But back at headquarters, Elisha is there, and he makes this trip, approximately 15 miles, 
east and in this township we will find someone that cares about the ministry interesting caring about the ministry means that there's an observation that you have of individuals within it you guys are individuals so the camera's on me but god's eyes are upon you and people that see you here you're in their eyes as well maybe curiously maybe inspiringly sensitively eyes are on us god's doing something in that lens that he has that focus that he makes that zoom in this woman seems to be extraordinary in her sensitivities about this visitation of this man of god so you need to know this there are people that are sensitive to you as well they see you they sense what's going on in you they care about you god's at work he's in charge she persuaded him it says to do what eat some food and so it was as often as he passed by he would turn in there to eat some food the word that you need to take note of is she is a notable woman the bride is a notable woman jesus has a bride qualified in our terms as his church a most notable woman gifted sensitive aware selfless enduring and endearing and so the provision to elisha comes through this notable woman it's cool when you see provision by this notable woman the church being able to make room to fill the emptiness at times that indeed ministry has an emptiness at times of seats at times those who are ministers in the technical sense of who's running sound today who's doing projector hey do we have a bassman do we have a guitarist do we have Sunday school teachers wait do we have kids they need to be sitting in front of the Sunday school teachers. Lord, we're we're in need of a filling. We're in need of a notable woman and families that are notable that we can take notes on how they're doing and what they're doing. And so she said, and the beauty again of a marriage to her husband, look now. I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly taking note able to distinguish a man of God can you distinguish a man of God can you distinguish a woman of God a child of God all you have to do is say lord give me eyes give me a heart please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lamp stand so it will be whenever he comes to us 
he can turn in there. The indicative is that he would turn in there because the gift of hospitality was presented to him. And beyond the gift of hospitality, now the provision of accommodation. When I went to the conference that I returned to just a week ago, I was taken care of, and Christy was too. She joined me as we endeavored to go over to the Bible college there. And so we were taken care of by an older couple who actually live in Washington, but they have a home in Palm Desert. And they took care of us every morning with a wonderful breakfast and coffee and fresh baked bread and a little Westie doggy that licked our feet and hummed at us. They have a coming sound. It was cute. But we were hosted until she went back, and then I was hosted there continually until I returned. I was treated as if I were a dignitary. And I don't doubt that in their heart I was, though I esteem myself very lightly. It's a wonderful thing when the church makes an unaffordable trip affordable. And everything was tended. The church covered my flight down there. I covered Christie's flight down there. That's that church. But this church would cover me too. It's that that church wanted to cover me. I was given so much manly food snacks in the conference, it was a, it was very clever. They, they gave the men that were teaching backpacks, brand new backpacks, label still on it. I could probably return it if I could figure out where they got it. And they stuffed it. It was so heavy. I was going, I'm going to flag whatever those guys do at the airport. They'll search me. And I was honestly so glutted with man food in there, jerky and potato chips. And yeah, I'm wearing it. Yeah, you see the extra long shirt I got. It's the large one. It's my manly moo-moo. And I'm probably going to take it to Hawaii if I get a chance to. But I had to set it aside because a most notable family, and in particular a woman whose heart was, hubby, we're going to feed this guy. We're going to take care of him. And it was wonderful. And I know that in that instance, whenever I'm in that area, they would surely open their home up. Because they saw that in their times past, dead things, and enough of them to where they said, it's time to come alive, and it's time to live for the Lord even more so than we were younger. Wonderful way to be treated. So he comes there with frequency. He comes there for ministerial business, obviously. Not necessarily told what that might be, but certainly we know he's a man of prayer. And so this apartment's being made for him. What a wonderful story it is. And it happened that one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Rest is what is afforded to him. And then he said to Gehazi, this is his servant. It was not unusual for men of God traveling prophets to have servants that helped them and his servant he calls and he says call this Shunammite woman and then 
it says, when he had called her, she stood before him. So Gehazi is passing a message. And he said to him, say now to her, look, you've been concerned for us with all this care. You've been concerned for us, plural. She's taking care of Gehazi too. We don't necessarily see that he is per se a man of God, but he's linked to a man of God. Can you take honor in such a way? Of course you can. Let alone that you're following the Lord, but let alone that you're with believers who as you sit among them are serving the Lord in capacities you can't possibly appreciate. We don't have enough time on earth to know that. I just believe that you all are and thank you for doing that. And so as this inquiry is being made. Notice what happens. Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? What a great phrase. You ought to journal that. What can I do for you? Most frequently, I've been intrigued with this on an answering machine or a person that says this. How may I serve you? It grabs my heart. How may I serve you? I just, what do you mean by that? Because the other phrase that grabbed my heart when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, as I've shared with you before, is God bless you, Richard. That used to take my breath away. What does that mean? And every time this one couple would conclude a conversation with me. It was, Jesus bless you. Lord bless you, Richard. God keep you. And they would vacuum the breath out of my lungs with that phrase. And so here this phrase is being said, and it ought to be something as well that maybe for you, you could say, oh, how I long to hear that from the Lord. Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? The Lord's whispering that to you. What can I do for you? Because he's heard your heart for him. Lord, this is what I want to do for you. I just love that. Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king? Elisha, to the king? Now, you, you need to understand that in the lineage of the northern kingdom, those kings weren't really awesome men to be speaking to. They weren't doing so well under God's eyes. Ahab and then his son, in that order, is who Elisha is having to deal with. They were cruddy kings. But Elisha, can I speak to him for you? I'm not afraid of him. Or to the commander of the army, Wow. Military chain of command. She answered, I dwell among my own people. Her phrase is intriguing, but in essence she's saying, what more do I need? Impressive to some, but not to me. I don't care about politics. And I don't care right now about who's the strongest. I just dwell among my people. I'm content where I'm at and in what I'm doing. And obviously, in your presence, whom 
I have had the privilege and honor of ministering to with my husband. You can see it in a church when that privilege just flows. But you can see humility in her, and you can see humility in Elisha. One of the things that I've learned is that there are times in which those of you who are gifted, you're endued by God to be just givers. You will also be required to be recipients. Thank you. Have you ever tried to outgive a giver? <laughs> no, you, no, you, 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 no, who? Hey, my neck's getting hurt trying to figure out if you're going to win me or I'm going to win you. And so you learn how both to exercise in your gift of giving and you also learn how in humility to be a recipient. What if I would have gotten in an arguing match with those who invited me to do this conference with them? I would have insulted them. Now, I don't know fully everything that in allotment I received, but you can imagine what an airline ticket round trip would have been. All the food that I ate, which you can see. A car that was lent to me by one of my good friends who's an associate pastor down there. Liability. Everything that I could have had need of was given to me in advance of even asking for it. But he's saying, what is it you need? I'll talk to the king. I'll talk to the commander. And she exercises this beautiful statement. I dwell among my own people. So he said, what then is it to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So she's very likely barren or older guy, he being impotent. I like this picture here because it shows what would appear to be a maiden who has become a bride to an older guy. I'm an older guy, so I appreciate that I had a maiden that I had to wait for three years, but she married me. And as a result of that, what favor I'm able to say, but any man here married is able to say, according to the word, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The topic really is good, too, because some of us in our relationships have challenges along the way. Relationships get severed. There can be a difficulty. There can be what you would say a termination. It would suggest dead. But our phrase isn't dead today. It's mostly dead, which is slightly alive. <laughs> what do you want to do with it? It's also commending, and I need to make sure this is obvious, is that when those kinds of events happen, God has been so gracious in our fellowship to unite couples that either by death or by divorce have been given an opportunity to see the grace of God poured out upon them greatly. A mystery but a marvelous provision of God. He can sort out the complications later in heaven, but it's really not complicated to him. In earth, our tenure right now is to be united both as a body of believers to him and among ourselves to one another, even to the degree that we're to love each other in the bond of unity by the Spirit. 
And so Gehazi says these two things. She has no son and her husband is old. The predicament there would be a longing to nurture one whom she does not have. And the predicament in the future is that a husband that's unlimited time. <laughs> I'm more unlimited time than I once had. I know I'm going to probably get a lecture, won't get my lunch today, but I look at my dog and I'm going, I've just got a dog's life left. I found out that my dog can technically live to the age of 17, maybe 20 if I change her food. Trying to comfort myself in something. But I see her get up in the morning and she looks at me and she bounds around and playfulness and going, what do I have to be worried about? She's happy. I can be happy. Dog's life, not bad. Cat's life, I don't understand. And so he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, notice this. It sounds familiar. It should. She stood in the doorway and then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. It was an unbelievable statement, but it tells you the longing in her heart. She's not trying to insult him in her humanity. She has found a contentment with her people, with her husband. He seems to be one who has an acreage of much. He's a harvester. He's got employees. She seems to be resigned that as a maiden in the home with a husband that goes away a lot to do industry, she can't believe what she's hearing. So it's not meaning disrespect. She's overwhelmed. And so notice what happens and this is something important as well. God's word is true. What has he told you? That maybe you said, oh, Lord, no, that's, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me, Lord. And he goes, I'm not. I haven't. And I'm not repenting of what it is I've promised you. So don't give up on my promise to you. But the woman in verse 17 conceived and bore a son when he appointed when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her compassion compelled him to know deep in her heart she longed to nurture a child Christie's a very happy woman because of not Chloe not Gracie our cat not Maui our other cat not Richard, because as a woman of God, she was given provision with a daughter and sons of the Lord. Though obviously I'm a part of that, the nurturing heart of her, I couldn't have kept pace with. Best I could do was handle a load of diapers, keep the dishes clean, the toys vacuumed up and scooched activities I could drive, but this is something that Elisha sees in the heart of this woman. And that, by the way, is something that cannot be argued, both spiritually and scientifically. 
no matter how culture says women can be changed by simply imagining it and fabricating it, nothing can change that heart to be both a woman and a mom. It's there. And so the woman conceives what joy she would have experienced. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. We don't have an indication that he's an older boy, but we can presume that very likely manageable. In other words, the strength of the mom can take care of the crises that we are soon going to discover. Christy is a superwoman. You mothers are superwomen with your kids. I think Christy can still pick me up and throw me over her back. I haven't tested it out lately because I'm finding that it takes recovery. But she is that strong. You women are incredibly strong when it comes to managing your children. Even if you say, not so, God would say, oh, so, you are. And with me, even the devil portion is for you. And so the sun goes out, very likely somewhere, I'm assuming, under the age of 12. Manageable. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And so he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. So he comes from the field where his dad was overseeing the harvesting of crops, realizing that it's now the dilemma of his wife to be able to assess what is going on. And I would find that to be true. We, if guys, the best we can do is get a bandage and an aspirin, we, we get no credit for our kids surviving us right now because it's mom that looks deep into their eyes, sees their heart, knows their pulse. I mean, they were staying at Motel Mommy for nine months. She knows them like tenants of the best order. And so when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees and it says till noon. It was an early morning walk, it's a return. He's in the arms and the lap of his mom, and she went up and laid him on, oops, excuse me, had taken him and brought him to his mother. He sat on her knees till noon, and then it says he died. This is the tragedy. This is the domestic consequence. This is the, who would have thought this? And so she went up, and it says laid him, this son, her only son, on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And so he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. It is well with her soul. The crisis is unmistakably identified. Her son has just died. She can do nothing for him. She places him in the room of whom she is hosting this godly man, Elisha. He's not there. He must obviously be where? Very likely he is back at Carmel, 15 miles to the west. And she's doing right now the best that she can with all that she knows to do, 
where she could alarm her husband, she rather consoles him, saying, It is well. And this is faith in crises. And I saw that exercised with Chrissy. And moms, you've seen it exercised. Dad, you've seen it exercised in the attitude and demeanor and the strength of your wives under intense agony. The forbearance of loss. Forbearance in times of loss. Strength given to them. Pretty amazing. She conjectures, I've got to get to him. But she assures her husband with one phrase, it is well, I'm not going to bother you. But I'm now on mission to see this man of God. And so a mule's brought, one who will attend this ride 15 miles away. The donkey's saddled. She said to her servant, drive. And go forward, do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. Basically, if it was a car, you hit that accelerator. And only pay attention to lawful necessity. You don't let go and don't break for nothing. She's absolutely, in a timely manner, making the pace that needs to be made in order to satisfy what ounce of faith she has right now. And I'm telling you, that's a big ounce of faith she has. If the Lord would say that just the faith of a size of a mustard seed, small, is sufficient enough to command that mountain to move from its place and go to the sea, then this ounce of faith that this woman has must be a cistern of it. And so she says, go. And they go. The donkey's saddle. Don't slacken the pace. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel, headquarters, Elisha. Elisha, it says here, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, his eyes are literally scanning to and fro what is happening all around and what you need to understand is he's a picture of what God also is doing presently in our lives and in the affairs of both the church and the world system. His eyes are scanning to and fro. His ears are attentive to the cries of the voices of need, of suffering. There's not one thing that he cannot see. There's not one thing that he cannot hear. Not one voice that he cannot respond to. Not one life that he cannot touch. And this is a beautiful picture of that skill set that God exercises when we have no more sets to give of any kind. Do you have that belief in your crises now? That it's only through if you conclude I'm dead as opposed to mostly dead. The phrase, slightly alive. That's what you need to say. I'm slightly alive. Feel dead? People have told me, why don't you just die? Curse God and die. No, I'm slightly alive. I'm slightly alive enough to go over to that cross, concluding the service to be prayed for. I'm slightly alive. I feel dead, but I'm slightly alive.
The man of God saw her afar, that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well. What an answer of faith. Gehazi is told to put on his track shoes, Run, run to her and give these questions to her. There seems to be a quick reflex in terms of coming back, but the response from her is amazing. It is well. What did she say to her husband? It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. Somehow we've all been touched with crises. You know, many of you know the episode that we came through, a son that came out of the surf and differently than he entered into the surf. And when he was laid on a concrete balustrade, we had to say, it is well with my soul. And Christy was treated like a dignitary. You don't get to go in ambulances with your sons. You don't get on a Learjet going to Redding, California. I had to drive a van. No jet provided for me. Provided for the woman of faith who said it's well. And so when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near. What's she doing? Is she tackling him? She's bowing down. She came to see him. Her declaration to her husband and to ultimately Gehazi was a declaration of faith in the God whom she worshipped with her people, Israel. That's all you see. And she's paying tribute to this man that she's trusting is the emissary, the ambassador of heaven to meet her need, which is grave he tries to move her from her, sounds like a disciple that we've seen, but the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And so she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She's not being snooty. She's not being condescending. She's expressing her faith and what ultimately was satisfied. And then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready, take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And so he arose and followed her. Gehazi goes out ahead. Elisha, seeing the determination of this woman that she will not leave, goes with her. That's determination in spite of what appears to be strong evidence. What you're hoping for, what you're wanting, is times past. It's not going to change. And now Gehazi went on ahead of them. So Elisha is following, following with the woman, 
Gehazi's doing what he was asked to do, take the staff and lay it across the sun. And so he laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him, that's Elisha, and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. See, Gehazi's not going to work this out. It's not really his faith. He's a servant. He's not in the same area of heart that the woman is, and he's not one endued with a double portion of blessings. He's serving, and in essence, in his serving, he's going to allow Elisha to make a determination. God wants something more. It's not going to be the Moses staff. I thought that would work. The Lord hasn't just given me discernment yet on this. Sometimes that we do, we, we fall back and we say, well, this should work because it worked for somebody else. And God says, no, I'm going to do something different than that. It worked for them because that's the way I was working in their life at that time. I'm working differently in this predicament. Therefore, pray more earnestly. Ask for your eyes to be opened. Discriminate between what is simply a model of someone's faith, but it's not the faith that I want you to invest The child was not awakened, and when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying, notice, dead on his bed. It was his bed. The child's there. Elisha's room is a sarcophagus. It's a place in which death seems to be evident, but he walks in a double portion of blessings upon him in a crisis in which the mourning of a woman hasn't even been mentioned twice it is well. Twice it is well. And when he went in, he shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. What that says is a statement for us. We pray to the Lord. When we shut the door on observations that will be made of our faith when we lock ourselves in to engage in prayer that God desires to hear from us. What a powerful moment. He's doing right now what he is, in fact, very qualified to do, but he's doing it. He's not taking it for granted. And so now what we see as the door is shut, he went up, and he lay on the child, and he put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. It's an interesting picture, but I do believe with it, it is the Lord saying, Do you want my weight upon you? Do you want the full weight of my glory upon you in your crises. When the eyes are on God and his eyes are on you, when the words of God and the promises that he has given from his mouth, we say, to our mouth, when the strong right hand of the Lord is holding us and entwined in our fingers, it's a picture in essence of a cross that has been formed in this child that has passed and God who is the one who can bring back alive. Dead 
are slightly alive. Where are you? Where have we been? The eyes and the mouth and the hands from this prophet of God forms a cross over this child. That's the picture that you see. The picture that we have over there. The icon of the dove over there. Symbol of the spirit. Different looks at times from different imaginations, but everybody knows that's what we're saying. A cross behind me on the altar. Candles which speak of the light of the Lord. At diagonal to the cross, a sheave of wheat which speaks of the body of Christ, the harvest that he's doing. Warmth beginning to come into this dead body, slightly alive. And Elisha takes that as his cue. Keep going. Do you sense warmth? Or just coldness to you? Is there a chance that you're sensing warmth in your crises? As he lays down and as there is warmth that's coming to the flesh, he returned and walked back and forth in the house. You might be in a back and forth pacing moment right now, but you're not pacing out of control. You're controlled. You're pacing as you're thinking, as you're pondering, asking the Lord what shall be done. And again went up and he stretched himself out on him. And then the child, it says, sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. So somewhere between birth and being a teenager, this is a child who now comes back to life, acknowledged by seven sneezes. It's an interesting thing there. But some have suggested that it's a picture actually of what we as frail human bodies will be doing. The breath of God comes into us, but at times our human breath needs to be expelled by force. The Spirit of God alive in us with holy breath at times mingles unnecessarily with human breath. Contagions, sinful expressions. And so when you look at it, the sneeze is actually a remarkable system that God has cued the body to be able to expel a harmful allergen in us. The sneeze can be provoked with pepper. God doesn't want pepper up your nose. A cook might, but God doesn't. And so that expelling is actually at a force that's been measured, if it's a good one with the diaphragm, at almost 200 miles per hour. So you don't even need a leaf blower. Just get out there, pepper smell, and start sneezing. Get your driveway done easily. Have a bigger family expel and that's really so it's an innocent child as far as we know it's an innocent child but the scriptures also say all of sin and fall short of the glory of god there's none righteous no not one the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord he spreads across this dead body slightly alive twice as he's engaged in pacing what do i do what do i do we'll do it again See, some people say, well, they went to the cross once. Great. So you're warm now. What about again? What about now saying, Lord, eyes that I might see, ears that I might hear, a heart that's beating for you, obedience that is enacting itself to honor you. We've all got those questions. 
I was reading this today, and it was funny. I started sneezing. That's you! I was going, oh, Lord, that's a good one. I hope that that's not what's going to happen to me at church, but if I must be a prop, then let it happen. Let it be a good one. Instead, I smelled, I spilled my communion like a bumbling fool. That can also be a good example of what we do. We bumble, and we mumble, but we don't pray, and we don't go back to the cross. We did it once, didn't work, got kind of warm fuzzies, but I'm okay. I'm just taken off. And so the child opens his eyes, and he called Gehazi, this is in verse 36, and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. What is it that God would say to you? Pick up your son. Pick up your daughter. Pick up your friend. Pick yourself up. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Pick yourself up. There's warmth in you now. There's life that's evident in you now. Pick yourself up. Do that for me. Do that for yourself. The woman, though, we see fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. She did that before she picked up her son. Normally, you'd pick up your son and say, thanks. She goes in and pays respect to the work of God through this man. And then she picks up her son. And she's written in the pages of history as a woman who believed God enough to say twice, it is well, it is well, while doing everything in her composure and in her discipline to give room for God to work through a variety of means. A man that came from the field, that helped secure the donkey, whip that donkey along, don't you stop until I tell you to stop. Everything about this scenario is beautiful. We don't hear any more from the husband on this page here, but sometimes it's important as well to realize the unspoken voice is not necessarily an accurate indicator of what that voice is doing in prayers, behind the scenes, in the field. Sometimes one of you has to just keep going while the other one is taking the initiative to see that the important thing also gets done. Christy was the one that took my place. I was the one that stayed in place. In staying in place, she was connecting with every single person within this community that was amazing. We had some awesome friends, friends that are here today, friends as well that you are, that connected in this tragedy. But it was only a tragedy in brevity. It depends on how you look at it. We've examined that and we said, our son would have it no other way. But it's not yet necessarily the end of Yahweh. Because we believe that to be true. Only mostly dead. That phrase belongs to us only mostly, slightly alive, that belongs to us. 